Episode 45, Burnout. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Deb, Melissa, and I discuss burnout. We talk about our personal signs of burnout, how we counteract those symptoms, and the importance of taking time away. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Hi, welcome to the story in your head. Today I've got Deb and Melissa, and we're going to talk about the subject burnout. So Deb, could could you help us out by getting a start of like, what does Merriam-Webster say about that? Yeah, thanks, Ron. Well, according to Merriam-Webster, the one I chose, there are several definitions, the one I chose was that it's exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of prolonged stress or frustration. Does that sound about right? It does. It does. So how do you notice your burnout or when do you notice your burnout? Like let's start out with like the first skill is to notice that you're in it. How do you begin to notice that you're in burnout? Yeah, I think one of the first things I notice is a lack of passion. Something that previously would have been joyful for me, I am kind of going through the motions. So going through the motions as far as doing it, but also not really not really thinking too much about doing it, just trying to get it done. In other words, not trying to enjoy it. And, and also, I think the negative emotions kind of seep in. When I'm the most burned out, I noticed, wow, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe this job takes much more than I can offer. And, and I start, th- that doubt comes into my mind. And that's the kind of thing that I start to notice for myself is just that self-doubt and negativity seeps in and a lack of passion. Thanks, Deb. Melissa, what shows up for you? How do you notice your burnout when you're burned out or burning out? Yeah, sleep. I start sleeping. I have a yoga practice and I really enjoy time outdoors and I'm a pretty active person and I always have passion projects going on on the side. And when I start to get burned out, all of that time is consumed with sleep. Mm. I start getting really, really tired. And the things that I once enjoyed start seeming like an effort Whereas prior, it would be something I look forward to, right? Like going to the Redwoods for a hike on the weekend, things like that. It starts to be less something that I'm excited about and more something that's, I don't have time for that. I just need a nap. For myself, it's time starts to shift. Like I don't really know what's different today than yesterday. One of my favorite term for that is Groundhog Day, right? When you, when you feel like I'm in the same place I was yesterday, I haven't made progression. There's nothing different today than yesterday. And I don't like, I don't feel that excitement because of the, I look back at the accomplishments and look forward to the challenges. I'm just kind of like in a grind. And I'm, 
I know I'm not bringing everything I have to the game. I'm just kind of tolerating life. So what, what, like when you notice it, what are, what are you giving up? Like what is the cost of burnout? I can answer that one. My mental health, my mental health for sure. I'm a, I'm in general an anxious person. I experience, well, not anymore because I've aligned my life in a way where I'm doing the things I want to do and the things that I'm passionate about and I'm not burnt out. But in previous positions where I was in perpetual burnout, because I kind of just thought that's what adulthood was, you know? I saw all of the adults in my life work really, really hard, especially my dad when I was a child. And seeing other people in burnout and having that be what was modeled to me, I thought that that's what work was. So empowering through it and suffering immensely because of it, meaning, you know, imposter syndrome, panic attacks, working 60, 70 hour weeks as a 23, 24 year old, which is just unnecessary because I was trying to prove something to myself. My mental health severely suffered. And then I thought that that was a chemical imbalance, which is hilarious <laughs> because I just wasn't at all engaged in any of the activities I wanted to be doing. Yeah, that's great, Melissa. I think one of the one of the first things I notice is when I'm doing negative work. And I'm going to attribute that one to Dr. Nitin Jane. He taught me about negative work when I'm not all in and when I'm just going through the motions, working too many hours, I can tend to actually undo some of the work that I need to be doing. And when I notice that, when I notice, wow, I think I'm going backwards here. It's, I have to take a step back. Those are usually the times where my mental health would suffer. And I think my family would suffer too. My family would suffer because I wasn't able to give myself to them either. And what that usually meant was like, we got to go somewhere. <laughs> we got to just do something together to step away. If it wasn't a long lasting burnout, if it was something I could do to, you know, take some time off and People will laugh about Deb going to Mexico. That used to be there was no internet in Mexico. So I loved going there because then no one could find me. <laughs> but really just taking that time to recover from, from burnout, if I could. You could say a little bit more about taking the time. What, what, what would you do to recover? Something for me, my favorite thing to do would be to walk for hours on a beach looking at seashells under my feet. <laughs> somewhat of a meditation for me, listening to the sea just crashing, the waves crashing, and then spending time with my family, just spending time doing something fun that doesn't, doesn't take a lot of thinking. <laughs> just a lot, It's almost like allowing my brain to relax and just be with others in a way that I can relax. Great. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Melissa. For me, the cost is, is, it's creativity. And I don't, you, know, you could go into creativity like, oh, I can't make something new or be in like paint or I can't write or I can't. Creating my life, like creating my day-to-day -day life versus being in a, a space of I'm just doing what I did yesterday versus creating something new each day, creating me each day. And so creativity just is my cost and I'm in a rut. And what a rut is, is a metaphor that I use for when cars used to go down and carts and everything else, they go down a road, they would create a low spot in the road and to the place where it was so deep that once you got into it, you couldn't get out. You didn't know how to get out, right? And you had to go all the way to the end. And so that rut is like, I get in this rut that I don't know how to get out of it. In fact, sometimes 
it's kind of easier just to stay in the rut and you just keep going. And I don't hold that. I learned how to prevent burnout until I went to Europe. I would burn out. I remember working seven days a week, 12 hours a day for 84 days straight. You say 12 hours a day, it's actually more like 14 hours a day because you got to drive in and you got to be there and you come back and all that stuff, right? And I remember I went to sleep for three days. Like that was my burnout. I was just like physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion. I just went to sleep, slept for three days. I mean, I got up and I'd get some food, I'd go to the bathroom, go back to bed. And I didn't really have a skill on how to do that until I went to live in Europe. And then I could see that there was some skills to be had on how to not burn out. So now that we've kind of talked about what the cost is, what do you do? What is your strategy for, for being in the world that you know burnout exists and you know the cost of it? I can go first on this one because I radically changed my life because of it. I changed my job. I was working a job where I w- was an addiction counselor and I recognized so I'm in recovery for codependency, but I am not a drug addict and I have not dealt with addiction issues in that way. And what was a really interesting awakening for me is I'm fully aware that you don't have to be in recovery for addiction to be a good drug counselor. But <laughs> if you're not always in that world because you're recovering from drug addiction, then you're stepping into that world for your profession. And that world is one that has a very heavy weight with it. And if you're someone that is constantly in that recovery anyways, because it's your process and it's who you are and it's how you're walking through the world, then it doesn't, it doesn't take effort to exist there because it's already something you're participating in. Meaning the counselors that I worked with that were in 12-step recovery, they're already going to meetings, they're implementing these things, coming into a clinic to do one-on-one counseling. While it can still absolutely lead to burnout, it's not like they are entering into a world that's separate from their own. And so once I realized that I was regularly entering into a world that was separate than my own and one that was kind of a heavy, like had heaviness to it, I was able to see that, oh, okay, this isn't for me. This just isn't for me. I'm, I'm meant to be surrounded by people who are enthusiastic and bubbly. And I remember when I first started that job, I would walk around the clinic whistling. Well, I can't whistle, but like humming and being really high energy and um and I, I was looked down upon because it was not it was inappropriate it was not the space people were suffering and struggling and it was 6 a.m and it was like how dare you come in with that energy <laughs> and there's nothing wrong or negative or bad about that it's just it it means that for me if i don't want to burn out it's really important that the individuals i'm working with match my energy and are also very energetic and positive and that it's not specific to a topic that isn't part of my day-to-day life. Yeah, for me it's about boundaries. And if it's I would say there's there's differences for me in terms of short-term burnout versus long-term burnout. If it's a if it's a long-term burnout issue, it's about setting boundaries for me. Those 14-hour days that you were talking about, Ron, it for, for me, that's unsustainable. And certainly for my family, it was unsustainable. You know, I've worked in other companies before where it was required that you have a meeting on a Saturday or a Sunday. And it was about setting those boundaries. No, that's, that's family time. That's recovery time for me. And because of doing negative work, when I was, uh, you know, over, overtasked or, or working too many hours, it's setting boundaries for myself too, that 
it's okay to not work 14 hours a day. My brain will actually be functioning better if I'm working eight or nine hours a day and I come back to the work refreshed. So, so that's really for me. And, and, and again, taking those breaks and not forgetting about self-care. You know, one of the first things to go when I'm working too many hours is, oh, you know what? I don't have time for that run today. Yeah. I just, I'm, I, it's just, I'm just too busy. And, or I don't have time to eat well. So, hey, that, you know, fast food, that looks really great. And the self-care can kind of go out the window. And so remembering just how do I, how do I get back to that? Be it meditation, prayer, taking good care of my body, taking good care of my health. But those are all the things that I have to look to and notice when, when I am burned out that those go away very quickly. Debbie, you mentioned, uh, maybe I get the wrong words here, but like short-term and long-term burnout, how do you dance with what is the difference between those and how they show up for you? Yeah. I mean, there are times when it may be required to put a lot of my effort into something for a short period of time. Maybe it's a sprint for two weeks of something. It's just a project that I know needs to get done. And while I can suffer from physical exhaustion, usually those sprints are, I'm still passionate <laughs> because it's, I can see that I can see the goal line. I can see the end. And, you know, there's something about getting that done, but my body feels it. And so I can see the, the short term nature of that, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel versus long term when it accumulates over years. I've worked in startups, right? And and oftentimes startups don't have enough people. And so you end up picking up more hats and doing more work. And and if that sustains for too many years, you can really feel that there's this buildup of either anxiety or just even you can you can even feel it in, in your whole body and it's hard to recover from and the passion is gone. So that's how I that's how I think about short-term burnout versus long-term burnout. Long-term burnout, the effects especially on my body and my mental health are are prolonged because I've been in that mode for so long. Thanks. It's funny there was a a study it, this article just came out yesterday a study out of Sweden about burnout and what it actually does to your brain chemistry, your brain like your amygdala I think is increased in size. It actually causes you to have less impulse control and the negativity they're saying it's real. Like they've studied people who were clinically diagnosed as burnout. And that's amazing. Amazing and scary. How, how does that, when you say that's amazing, it sounds like it surprises you. What, what, tell me more about the um, amazing. Well, just because I don't think we think about that. We think about we're working hard, right? We're working hard or, it's almost noble, right? It's noble to work a lot of hours. Again, culturally, that's culturally in the US, it can be perceived as hard work, but we're really negatively impacting our brains, like physiologically our brains. And I don't think people are thinking about it that way. I, I, I can't quote where I read this, but if you go back like 15,000 years ago when we were hunter gatherers are just beginning to be farmers, right? We, we would spend on average around 20 hours a week providing for our lives. That was it. 
I mean, the rest of the time was free time, creative time. Like we could, we had our food sources, we had our shelter, we had all that kind of stuff set up. And now somebody who spends 60 hours a week is not unusual. So even though with all the modern enhancements, right, we are working longer than ever, right? And so I could see how if you go back and look at how, because remember, like for me, it's easy to forget that we evolved over 100,000 years. We've only been in the world we're in today for the last, you know, 500 years maybe. And our biology is set up to where a 10-hour week or 20-hour week was normal. And our bodies would have fought anything more than that because that's just what it was. And to the point where if you were in that kind of a situation, it was because you were being hunted or, or chased or in something else that would take us out. And so our body does take over that stress and, and do that. But now we don't have anything hunting us. But we still, our bodies still work that way. The stress still does put something on us that is amazing, which is taking away our ability to choose our life, the snap decisions. What I've learned, like how I notice my stress and what I do about it. There's two, two things that made a big impact to me. I was reading a particular paper by Fernando Flores, Permanent Domains of Human Concern. And I read it like 10 times. It's only you know a 15-page paper. And there was a moment when all of a sudden I realized, because he went through all the concerns, thir- the 13 permanent ones, which first one was body, right? The last one was world. And I, don't ask me about world because I still haven't figured that one out. But right after body was play. And he writes in there that he says, you know, this, these are not in order. And I go, they're not in order. If you didn't take care of your body, do you have anything else? So what's next? Play. Hmm. And to me, this showed up as a part of the whole burnout because I'd been working the 84 days straight, the 712s, all that kind of stuff. And what is play? What does it mean to play, to be in the world and play? Paraphrasing his distinctions were, and he has play and aesthetics in the same grouping, right? So aesthetics would be like museums and going places and seeing art, performing, seeing performers and that kind of space, and just letting your body be with those with the art of the space. And play is anything where you let your body just be and do, like throwing a ball. You don't think about throwing a ball. Going skiing, you don't think about skiing. You just you do it. Now you may think about it while you're doing it, but it is happening way too fast for you to be able to choose something. By running a bicycle. And then what does play do for me was the question I kept asking. And I've noticed it takes my brain out of it. And I see not my whole brain, but my foreground. All those, all those thinking things go do something else, right? And so like this morning, I went for a one-hour bike ride. And what I've noticed in the reason I like riding bikes, besides it's good for your health and all that, you can't do much else while you're riding a bike. You're just going to ride your bike, right? You start thinking about something else, and before long, you're in trouble, right? Specifically riding in a city where there's cars and everything else around you, your body's just kind of got to be and do, right? And what I notice when I go do that, when I go play by riding a bike, when I come back, my stress levels are down. And some of it, you, like they say, well, the exercise and uh, it does the, the, your whole body does what it does, right, and all that kind of stuff. But it lets my background of obviousness work. And what's my foreground get focused on something else besides the stress. And like I think Deb said, walking on the beach, looking at the seashells, being in a, on a bike ride for me does that. Uh, being on a country, being on a car drive, oh, nothing more fun to me than getting in a car and go someplace with Connie. Right, six-hour drive, it goes, oh, how could you do that six-hour drive all the time? And I'm going like, kidding me? It's like play. Right? You're driving a car, you're talking, you're being, and you're not really thinking about 
all the other things that you have to do. And so that's like, uh, and I think, Deb, when you said like the short stress, I think that's the space that enables me to continue to go and keep the short stress from building and the burnout because I burned out a lot. But when I go and I exercise and I do those things, I don't get that short-term burnout as much, right? Still still there. Then the second one is how to have an adventure. Because when you have a long-term stress, for me, like I, it builds up, you know, I got to keep working and working. I love it. I'm in passion, right? Even when I was doing jobs I hated, I could go on an adventure. But when I have a job that I love now, you can still, like there's, it, it builds up. And I really appreciate my experience with, the German colleagues that I had. See, they, they designed their, their whole organization around taking care of people. So if you go into a grocery store, the checkers are sitting down, right? If, if the store closes at 5 p.m., that means at 4.45, they're going to run you out of the store because at 5 o'clock, everybody's going home. See, we, we don't design things here about the people. We design around the customer. The employees are what's important, and the businesses are designed to take care of the employees. So the moment that you go to work for a company in Germany, you get six weeks vacation. It's not like, well, you'll earn that over time to get up to six weeks. No, no, no. Six weeks is about your health. You need to take two, three-week vacations a year. You're going to do that, Ron, aren't you? I am? Yes, you are. Uh, um, yes, I am. Go home to Connie. Connie, we got to take two, two vacations this year. we got to go, go away for three weeks at a time. Look at her face, like, we've never done that. How do you how do you do that? Right? Of which we we were in the the space of discovering that they're much better at vacationing than we are. Because I went to go go on vacation and we, you know, like two months before, I, I showed up at Tui Place, T U I is one of the places. We'd like to schedule a vacation in two months. She <laughs> started laughing. I go, Why why what's so funny? Two months from now? Are you kidding me? We've been booked up for a year. Like, I mean we booked up everything is booked up for a year. Oh, they plan these things way ahead of time. So we started to plan a year in advance to get our three-week vacation. And you could see the, like I, I began to notice it was as I worked with my colleagues in Germany, you could see their stress level building or their burnout. They're burning out, right? And then they go on vacation. And they come back, one, tan, two, full of energy and life. But they were gone for three weeks. And the first time I went through that whole process with them, I was going, oh, well, uh, Herr Neumann is, is off on vacation. Okay, well, let me send him an email. And they looked at me like, why would you send him an email? I go, so that you can answer it. He's not going to answer his email. He's on vacation. And I call him, why would you do that? Because I need an answer. He'll be back in two weeks. But I need an answer today. He'll be back in two weeks. Because their vacation was a part of mental health. It, w- it wasn't like they said, well, you're entitled. In fact, your pay in Germany went up while you went on vacation. Like you've got paid so much, you, know, you got a 10% bump during the time that you were on vacation because they expected you to go away. And as we started to notice the health benefits of the people, right? And, and they didn't just go away like we would go away. Like I would say, I'm going to go to Europe for, I'm going to go to Europe for, in, in two weeks, Right. And an American would go to Europe in two weeks. They'd be in France and Germany and Italy and, and Spain and, and Switzerland all in two weeks. They would go someplace for three weeks, one place, and stay. They didn't move around. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have their cell phones. They just stayed. And they got to know the people. They got to know the spaces. And it wasn't just Germans. like uh, the Italians and French and Spaniards and, and uh, Belgium and, 
uh, Great, Great Britain, right? And they hold that this is a part of being like a good employee, being a part of a structure that they need to go away and, and rest and relax and be in that space. And it created a new world for us to think about how and what we do that, how we go play short-term and long-term. Because even if you're doing the job you love, you can burn yourself out. You can do the job you love and everything about it, and your body still cannot keep up because it's not giving a chance to play. And that's that's like our story. And this has been challenging for us. Everybody's pandemic's been challenging. But for us, like we were, we had our adventure planned and we didn't get to go because the pandemic shut it down. And so now we're going like, well, when are we going to be able to go again? And then Connie changed jobs. So now she's, we're in America. You got to build your vacation up, right? Before you can go. And so now we're, we're planning out how we're going to get back on our adventure. And we're going to go away for six weeks. And the part of it where people say, well, I don't know, that's self-expensive. I don't know if you can do that or not. I found adventures can be pretty affordable, really pretty affordable. If you set out to do it, in a way that's about rest and relaxation versus how do I jam Europe into three weeks? You can't jam Rome into three weeks. You can't even do one section of Rome in three weeks, right? Versus like they come back from a vacation. Americans, I've, I've seen, yeah, we just got back from vacation. So glad we can recover now. Because on vacation, they went so hard that they got to get back to work so they can recover. And there's no acknowledgement in that space of the burnout, the stress, the mental health, the physical health, right, of, of the same kind of space that we're, we're, we're working on. It's their culture, right, in, in Europe. This is not our culture, and it, we have to work on it here. And this is our, like, our, our current strategy. I almost took a job at one point that, that seemed reasonable, <laughs> that was great pay, incredible pay, and I would get what was it, five days of vacation in the first year. And it didn't increase to a week until after two years. And it maxed out at two weeks of vacation time in three years. And that included sick days. And at that point, I was just so programmed to think that that was natural and normal. But I had been traveling for a while prior to that. And in my mind, I was just, it was just such a hard no. It was like, I don't, like, how do... Like what? <laughs> like how do people do that? And mind you, I had been I had been working that life for like eight years prior and then took a break because I was so burnt out, took a month long break because I absolutely could not continue to work in the way that I was working. And then it was interesting because then looking at a job like that, it was just so clear like that is completely not sustainable. Like there's just no way because it creates a template for burnout. And it seems like so much of what we deal with here in the States is really structured around that way. I remember talking to my dad about that. My dad was like, yeah, two weeks and two years. Yeah, it's pretty standard. It's pretty standard. And I remember thinking like, yeah, but that's a problem if that's standard, because how are you, how can you keep employees? Thank you, Melissa. I've actually been into a company that they did not require people to take their vacation. So there were people who had like a year and a half of vacation built up and while that sounds really good to have a year and a half of vacation and you could go like when you get ready to retire, you can just, you know, get paid for another year and a half. That's really great. What is missing in that story in that story for me is the cost of having a burned out employee for 20 years. You never got their A game. 
you never got what they had to give, right? Because they were always burned out, stressed out, burned out. And they never got a chance to go back and reset. They never got a chance to create something new while they're sitting on a beach somewhere or in a mountain or in a chalet or in a museum. They never got a chance to create and invent something new for the company, for the group, because they were always so busy in the grind. When we don't let our, our brains play, we don't invent, we don't create. We just look forward to coming back and doing the same thing over and over and over again and solving problems. And they show up as stress versus opportunities. Yeah, Ron, you're also triggering me to think about a story that, well, I can't leave because I'm too valuable. Like people won't know what to do if I'm not there and how that relates to believing in others. There's a space that, that they don't know what to do, but there's also a space that I obviously haven't trained them well enough. And it's my fault that they can't do it without me. So I have to stay. So it's that they're not enough and the other people aren't enough. And it can make you stay in, in doing something that is actually preventing them from being creative, from growing, from taking on the next challenge. And I, I, I encourage people, everybody, go away for two, three weeks. There's, there is a two to three week vacation waiting for you that's well within your budget, whatever your budget is. There's this thing that happens after two weeks, too, I've noticed. It doesn't happen in a week. But once you start getting close to that two-week mark, your nervous system starts to relax and you start to really get back in tune with your, especially if you're spending time outside with the circadian rhythm of, you know, like, oh, okay, I'm not waking up to an, like a violent alarm every morning and I'm able to spend time in nature and I'm able to remember what it's like to breathe and actually wake up and think, what what is it that I want to do today now that there's not all these obligations? And that, it connects you back to your humanness. And if you're spending years and years not having access to that and not able to connect with your family and your loved ones because you're so hyper fixated on producing and performing and being accepted and loved in that work sphere, it just it, it separates you from such a core component of self that it can't not lead to burnout because you're not being yourself. Yeah, we, we found we noticed this on the, on the three week. We were forced to go on a three week thing. Right. And it took us four or five days to kind of get out of the mode we were all in and then we went into the just hanging out being with each other laughing carrying on kids probably go who is this guy called dad why is he laughing and carrying on and doing all this other stuff and then like two weeks later right we have three days before we get ready to go back we noticed our body started to shift back into all the things we had to do and the travel times and all this kind of stuff goes now if you want to take a week vacation it takes you four to five days to slow down and three or four days to speed up you never get there and if you want a, a true two-week vacation, it takes three weeks to get it. And people go, I'm, I'm taking a week. I'm going like, why would the hell you do that? Just stay here and work. <laughs> Even at Christmas, guys. Well, I think that's part of the problem is people do work on vacation, right? They take their laptop with them. Again, like it's noble. It's mm -hmm. noble to do that because I you can get a hold of me. But then they don't, it's just easy to fall into that habit of, well, I'm just going to work and not. And, and I, I fully admit in my past, I've done that. I've taken a, a laptop on my vacation and I remember saying to the kids, Hey, I, I've got to, you know, one minute I, I've got to be in this meeting. And again, I think about the boundaries I didn't set and what I missed out with my kids because I didn't set those boundaries. And then I just come back mad because <laughs> I didn't get a vacation, but it was the story in my head that. Oh, you know, I'm I'm being noble 
by giving up my vacation to work versus I'm not being noble by giving up an opportunity to be with my kids. Thanks, Deb. Well, you triggered as to memory that because we did that with our kids in Europe, they have exceptionally fond memories of being in Europe, as I do. And they've also said, when, when can we go back as a group? Now we're adults, right? When can we go back to Europe and just like not go anywhere, just go be someplace? And it would be a lot of fun now, right, to go back and do it all over again because they've got such great memories of that versus like other vacations in the United States. They don't have any vacations in the United States where they go, yeah, let's do that one again because we, you know, week here, week there, and this didn't work. And, and I go back to what does this have to do with burnout is that burnout is real. And if we don't, when we don't hold it as a real concern and play is an important concern, right? And even if you're doing the job you love, you can burn out. So it's not just about like, I'm in the wrong job. You can be, but it's also in, if you don't play, you'll burn out. If you don't take that space and that time to do that, I'd burn out. So thank you. Deb, anything else you want to share today? No, again, really, it was fascinating to hear about the differences. And, and again, it's, it's the story of, of why we take vacation, what play is for, and how we can kind of take that back for ourselves, take back that opportunity to, to play and to be with people we love. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just really how it, how it triggers me to think about how, how can I do that better? How can I be better at vacation? <laughs> or yeah, thank you. Uh, and um, I'm sharing the story that I'm creating for myself, which is how can I be better at burnout prevention? Yeah. And noticing before it's too late. Melissa, anything else to add or any questions or what would you say you learned from today? Yeah, I mean, I just really want to acknowledge what Deb was saying about there's nothing noble about working hard when you are doing yourself and the company you work for a disservice by making yourself completely incapable of showing up fully. I definitely came from a background where hard work and working hard despite and not only despite, but like coming to work while sick, you know, that that's noble mm -hmm. and that not taking vacation time is noble, that working hard is somehow a virtue or a value. And it's like, give yeah, what? Like, if you're doing work that feels good to you, then it's, it doesn't come across as working hard. It's like, no, I'm just doing what I want to be doing and I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm, and I'm loving what I'm bringing to the table and I'm working with other people who feel the same. And then I'm taking time and space for myself so that I can keep showing up in that way. And the, this idea of play, what I've noticed is that that imaginative space where we play is the same place ideas come from. So when you're making room for that, and when you're not overworking yourself, and when there's a real good balance in between, oh, okay, I'm working to live, I'm not living to work, and I'm making time and space for imagination and play, the things that we can create as a collective are amazing because we're not tapped out and functioning on these stress hormones and coffee that are, you know, keeping our cylinders running at like 40%. So I just think that, I think that we're seeing this now since COVID, since we all took time to rest and now look at all these new things that are coming about. But I think that, that really shifting the story and recognizing that not only is there nothing noble about working hard when you're not enjoying the work that you're doing, but that in fact, if you work a little less hard, a little spend more time on what you want to be doing and make time to rest and play, 
that what you can create is a thousand times more interesting and better and wanted by the world than we could create by working 70 hours and being exhausted. Thanks, Melissa. And thank you both for being on the Story in Your Head podcast. That'll bring our podcast to a close. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listen to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.